everyone. Welcome to this episode of the 10K Media Podcast. Today I have with me Daniel Bryant, who is the head of DevRel at Ambassador Labs. Daniel, how are you doing? Hey, Adam. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Good to have you. It's been a while. The last time I saw you was in KubeCon in San Diego, which was, is that two years ago, 20, three years ago? 2019, I think I was there. Like, like, it was the, the, sort of the run into 2020 when it all went wrong, right? <laughs> Oh man, yes, yeah. That was, I think, the last uh, the last event I had I had been to before the you know everything happened. And yeah. funny enough, it looks like we might see each other at KubeCon EU for the first time happening in uh, in a few weeks here. So that'll be fun. Yeah, totally looking forward to it. You know, we were chatting a bit off mic around sort of the in person events, and they're gradually coming back. And I was at KubeCon London not long ago, and thoroughly enjoyed like hanging out with folks that I've just been chatting to on on Zoom for a while. But it was kind of strange being in person too, right? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, you never know what everyone's different, like, comfort levels are. Yeah. And um, obviously, we've seen what happened with the CNCF with them trying to figure out how to do this upcoming event. Mass, no mass. It's kind of hard to to make everybody happy. You're just not not going to. Um, but masks or not, I, I am looking forward to, to seeing people and uh uh, get some of that in-person experience, so it'll be it'll be a good time. I, I want to talk about uh, Kubernetes a little bit. Speaking of the CNCF, because Ambassador Labs is is really heavily involved in the Kubernetes ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, well, I, I have to say this: so CNCF came out with another report about how Kubernetes is, you know, crossing the chasm. You know, massive adoption, yeah, yeah. and then there's always like a little caveat. You know, complexity is still. <laughs> there and like, yeah. i feel like that same report has happened for like five years like i've never <laughs> yeah, seen enough. a technology like every year be the hyped technology that's people are talking about um can you account for that yeah, it's a it's a great point. It definitely made me chuckle when you said that, Adam. Because yeah, you're right. Like you know, definitely at the very start of the thing when you know you and I were hanging out, it was all about say storage and networking. I remember all the vendors being either storage vendors or networking vendors. Then observability came in or whatever, right? But now it is more about that kind of end to end delivery of like code to running in prod, right, and, and a bunch of other things. But it's still yeah, you're right. It's still that the vibe is kind of similar, and I think it's because Kubernetes provides such a great foundation of technologies that's good enough for most people building a platform do you know what i mean like gotta always chuck in a kelsey hightower quote right <laughs> every chat you have about kubernetes because he's always on point but he said it's up you know kubernetes is a platform for platform builders and i think that's mm. why it is because like a lot of folks myself included sometimes look at kubernetes and think it's the next generation of platform as a service paths but it never really was designed like that so we kind of look at it from two lenses right we kind of look at it like from the where's my paths and it's still not here and everyone's like grumble grumble developer experience is bad you know which to some degrees that's fair right but we're also saying it provides so many good primitives so much good base functionality you got to build on it like you what, what else would you build on right like there's mesos still out there there's docker swarm and various other things still out there nomad from hashicore all good pieces of tech but in general, the industry is converging around Kubernetes as the foundation, the fabric for a lot of these platforms, right? Yeah, and I think the advantage of something that's hyped actually becoming adopted is that you get like a second and third round of hype around it in a weird <laughs> way. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, even like the serverless stuff where there was a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. and there still is, you know, but it 
it doesn't have quite the same, uh, at least in my universe. And I, and, and I imagine it's because Kubernetes really is getting adopted. So it started with like, you know, the super cutting edge kind of folks, you know, coming out of Google and, and whatever. Um, but the truth is like, it takes a long time for technology to break into the mainstream where existing tech stacks are already in place and whatever. And, but they are, and they're talking about Kubernetes now. And like, so you get this like kind of ongoing beat drum about it. And uh, maybe it's a good time to just talk about the Ambassador Labs offering. So you're the head of DevRel there. How, how long yeah, have you yeah. been at Ambassador Labs? Oh, so oh, it's in tech years, it's quite long. I think it's like five years. Like I started as an advisor. Oh. I actually met Richard Lee, the CEO back in uh, KubeCon Austin. Uh, when it snowed in Texas, right? I don't remember that. I was like kind of crazy back in 2017. And then I've done various roles from, I've literally done every role at Ambassador Labs, beauty of a startup, right? Whatever needs to be done, get it done. But notionally, I was product architect for a couple of years. Then I um, sort of spun up the DevRel because we were really investing in, in sort of in developers and then moved into head of DevRel about six months ago or so. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So the, uh... I mean, you've been a developer for a long time um, yes. before that, right? And and now you're yeah, doing yeah. the DevRel stuff. And I think that's an interesting transition. And, and I want to get into that because uh, DevRel is an interesting topic in general, and oh, especially yes. during the pandemic and now post-pandemic. But uh, so what what exactly does Ambassador Labs do? What What's the offering for folks who may not be familiar with it? Yeah, so we help developers ship code using Kubernetes. So we have a bunch of products, a bunch of CNCF, products as well, like MSRE Ingress, which is an open source API gateway built on Envoy Proxy. We have Telepresence, which is an open source uh, local to remote dev tool for getting fast feedback. But I mean, we've got all those tools and, and that uh, Telepresence is a CNCF sandbox project and uh, MSRE is an incubating project. We do a lot of work with Argo, a lot of tools there, but we fundamentally are working with customers, with clients to help them get that fast coding, shipping and running. Because, you know, you mentioned Adam, like I've been coding for like nearly, well, professionally 20 years or so now. And wherever I was working back on the Java monoliths, right? And doing a bit of serverless more recently, you always need that code, that ship and that run. Do you know what I mean? You're coding, you're working, you typically as a team, um, you're looking for fast feedback, you're looking to share the results of your changes with your with your peers, with your teammates. Uh, and then once you're, you're happy, then you ship it. And, and these days we do a lot of things around separating deploy and release. So we might do canary releasing right and blue green dark launching all these good techniques for um limiting our blast radius if stuff goes wrong right uh, and then once you're running it's all about that fast feedback loop again like you're observing both from a sort of a more fundamental ops level you often talk about slis service level indicators like cpu memory all that good stuff and critically, we talk about KPIs these days, business KPIs, right? Am I getting more subscribers? Am I converting the subscribers? Is the basket size increasing? All that kind of good stuff, right? So we work with customers. Our main offering is Ambassador Cloud, which is a control plane, a developer control plane, onto that code, that ship and that run. We give folks a service catalog, get visibility of what you've got going on. We give folks a very easy uh, cloud controlled telepresence interface. So you can spin up this local to remote dev environment. So you can be working on a service locally, and then you can be testing against dependencies in a remote Kubernetes cluster. And then we provide super easy UI onto Argo, Argo CD, Argo rollouts, fantastic projects for progressive delivery, continuous delivery, canary releasing and then we also provide a nice um, ui very easy way to control uh, ingress so you can define mapping routes from like you know slash api to a back-end service or slash checkout to a back-end service and we just like 
something you and I talked about off mic, you know, and we even mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Kubernetes is not a PaaS and the developer experience is still a bit challenging, particularly for like the 99% of developers that just want to code stuff and ship it, right? Um, so we are aiming to make their lives much easier. We're, we're working very much with the 99% developers to just like, yeah, it's Kubernetes under the hood, but you don't really need to worry about that. You just want to code, ship and run, right? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of themes you touched on there and it's hard to know exactly which which thread to pull because um, <laughs> there's, there's the, the code to cloud stuff, which I've heard Bridge Crew has been using that a lot. And it seems like that's kind of what you're talking about too. Like there's a whole chain of, of you know, writing the code and then sh shipping it and then and it running in the cloud and sort of being yeah. responsible for that kind of full pipeline. And then the other piece you talked about was like the DevX in DevOps tooling. Uh, yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. of my, my, my clients have been talking about, you know, when you talk about shift left, they're actually talking about shifting DevOps left, which is like, you know, I don't know how meta, you know, everyone wants <laughs> to get with their messaging here, but I understand what they're saying, right? Which is like a lot of these DevOps things are still very opsy and they 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 feel opsy and and the developer still maybe doesn't have the the best experience. I mean, what, what do you feel about that? Is that or is that how you feel about Kubernetes a bit, that there's still work to be done on the on the DevX side? I think there is, Adam. I mean, I mean DevX is a, very wide ranging kind of umbrella term right because like you touched on a few things there like we're definitely seeing a lot of folks shifting left and it's a great idea right because even back in you know when i first started coding think about the illities early in the journey security reliability you know extensibility all that good stuff but if you're not careful you're crushing developers with the weight of all these things right you want to shift left but that does that mean i need to learn more and more stuff and i think what we're coming to as an industry is yeah we want to shift left but we want to give good abstractions. So I don't need every developer to know everything about observability. I don't need every developer to know everything about security, everything about scalability, right? We give them, you know, clear abstractions. So this is how you define, say, um, the scalability of your application, like one to three replicas or something like that, right? This is how you scale up based on CPU or some other metric, that kind of thing. And the same with security, right? Make it easy to do the right thing. There's a lot of great work going on with um, S-bombs and Salsa framework. It, the CNCF is lighting up in this space at the moment and Sneak are doing great work and other folks like that, uh, Aqua, Trivi. But if you look at what they're doing, much like Ambassador Labs, they're trying to make these complicated things simple, make it easy to do the right thing, right? Uh, and that I think is where I'm most interested in developer experience at the moment. It's that soup to nuts, that like code ship and run, but it's giving folks the right abstractions and the right insight to do the right thing. Totally. Yeah. I, I think this is a really interesting conversation about the shift left stuff because, you know, in the security space, I, I have a client, a uh, bridge crew that's in this world. And, uh, you know, when they talk about it, it seems like, I mean, they were recently acquired by Palo Alto Networks very quickly. So it's obviously something that even the, the bigger, more traditional cybersecurity companies are, are interested in. Um, you know, they have an open source project, um, Chekhov, uh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, got millions of users very quickly. And, you know, that that was a big impetus, I think, for the interest in, in them as an, as an acquirable company. Just like there's obviously a lot of developer interest um, yes. in this space. But the, I think the flip side of it is, I mean, the, the best argument I've heard for like, because I've had the same question. I remember when DevOps started becoming a real thing and it's like, oh, wow, now developers, you know, you build it, you own it. They have to that's have pages yeah, yeah. now or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. now they, they have to, you know, deal with security too. And it's like, um, 
the best argument I've heard is is something like it comes back to the developer anyway, right? Like if there's a security issue, if there's a misconfig, if there's a vulnerability in the code, that's going to be a Jira ticket that comes their way that they'll yeah, have yeah. to deal with eventually anyway. Um, I mean, the business value case is, is totally obvious, right? It's just, it's it's A, obvious, and B, there's plenty of research to show that the earlier you catch Yes, a security issue or a reliability issue, the less pain and headache and customer facing impact and cost it will be for you down the line. Yeah, yeah. So the business case is there, but for the dev, because I think the truth is though, okay, security has an issue. They see it, it's silent, you know, it comes back to you in a Jira ticket. You may or may not deal with it. You probably can find a way to ignore it. Whereas like shift left is, is really saying, no, like this is prioritized and, and you do need to deal with it. So even if you have abstractions, which I agree are great and, and are coming and, and the best platforms do a good job with that. Um, they still have to think about it more mm -hmm. than they used to. I mean, is that a yep. fair statement? And and how much do developers have an appetite to be, you know, thinking about security and thinking about reliability, you know, or or in their heart, do they do they wish they, they could get back to a time <laughs> where uh, <laughs> they just could just build stuff? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it like with anything, there's a spectrum there. Adam, and like folks I chat to, like customers of ours in the say finance industry, are on security. They have to be right. It's part. Of, it's, their, it's their core business proposition. So those folks are threat modeling everything. They're thinking about security from day zero. Whereas folks I chat to in say the e-commerce space clearly still care a lot about security, but it's not as forefront as say something in finance or government or regulation, where like nation state actors maybe attacking your systems. Right, mom and pop store. They're kind of like we want it to be secure. We're going to use TLS. We're going to use encryption. We're going to use authentication. But you know, there's a spectrum of, of things there. Right? Right. So I think there's a spectrum of kind of requirements out there. There's a spectrum of developers. Some developers like me kind of like we just love learning stuff. Right. But, you know, so I'm happy to learn about security. But even then, there's a limit to how much I can learn. But to your point, some folks, and I'd say the vast majority just want to do their job. Right. And I think it's on us as, as leaders and managers to make sure we scope a developer's job. So when they join the company, it's like, hey, you're not just going to be cranking out code and throwing it over the wall. Like we really care about X, Y and Z. So you're going to have to think about observability, those kind of things. And I think what we're doing now is we're actually seeing it permeate a little bit in the industry around the way we structure teams. You can argue it even started with like Spotify back in the day, right? Everyone was copying Spotify with the guilds and, and the um, chapters and all these things. And now a couple of buddies of mine wrote a fantastic book a while ago called Team Topologies. I don't know if you bumped into it, but it's an amazing book uh, under the um, IT Revolution brand, Gene Kim and Nicole Forsgren, all, all that great crew. And they talk a lot about how to design teams to support your goals. So you always get the they call them stream aligned teams, but like sprint teams, scrum teams, call them what you will, the teams delivering business value, right? And then they augment those with platform teams and specialist teams. And my experience working with customers now that have adopted this kind of motion, this kind of organizational design, is they bring in these consulting functions, internal consulting, right? But depending on their requirements. So for example, if you're building something in finance, you have to consult SecOps day zero, right? Whereas if you're building something in e-commerce, maybe you get a bit further along the line before the SecOps team come in, or maybe even you outsource SecOps to an actual provider, right? But there's an understanding of how we structure orgs and how we kind of consume the services within orgs. And it's still pretty, you know, I don't know if it's crossed the chasm, I'm not sure about that yet, still quite uh, early days, but I am seeing really good things around this team topologies approach to structuring, you know, your organizations aligned with your goals. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, and so for, 
<clears throat> for Ambassador Labs, does it work? Is it basically um, a bunch of tools and projects that are then, you know, there's like a control plane laid on top of them and that's sort of all abstracted from the end user? Um, or is it is it is it different than that? What, what does it actually look like on, under the hood? I think you summarized it perfectly, Adam. Like that, that is our, you know, we we like the idea of this developer control plane. A lot of companies out there are building this, right? You can even argue that Amazon, you know, AWS provides a developer control plane with their UI and with their CLI, right? But getting the abstractions right for your business is critical. Because like, again, some developers are happy jumping in the Amazon's, you know, UI. Some folks are not. And there's an argument, like, should you be using the UI? Should you be actually doing infrastructure as code? There's a bunch of different things, right? Um, so what we're aiming to do, we're very much uh, supporting the platform teams, providing the right abstractions for the development teams, right? So, you know, we're not super opinionated about what you put under the hood and how you arrange your Kubernetes clusters. We support a bunch of different ways of doing that. What we do provide is a consistent developer view onto them. So we have this notion of cells, which span, you know, namespaces and clusters. As a developer, I'm just like, that's my dev cell. That's my EU cell. That's my production US North cell or whatever. They're providing these sort of mechanisms to abstract how they want to look at their system. And then once you've got that, we provide this control plane for, here's what your current state of your services are. And you can add annotations, like Kubernetes annotations to provide additional value, like um, runbook locations, GitHub, repo GitLab repo locations these kind of things and then we do that through the code the ship in the run as well so we give you the ship status of have you done a release recently oh jane did it bob did it these kind of things what was it what was the status and then we also give you that run um view as well sort of simple metrics we're not trying to be a data dog we're not trying to do all the you know all the other great um observability vendors out there we're trying to complement that kind of stuff provide that centralized control plane just enough insight just enough visualization so you as a developer can make the right choice of what to do next. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I'm seeing now this seems to be a pretty becoming a more common business model. We have open source projects that then, um, you know, a vendor comes in and adds visualizations. They, they add a UI, yeah. they add a better experience and um, it makes a lot of sense. I, I do wonder, you know, when Ambassador Labs is talking about, um, because I imagine you as a company and you as a person believe in open source and oh, yes. uh, there may, there may be devs that want to hack it together and and do it yeah, themselves yeah. maybe they say i i could just use these projects and 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 diy this thing um but that tends to be difficult at at scale um especially and and how do you balance that like if someone you know as a dev came to you and said hey i i like these open source projects i just want to use them um what, what's the pitch for saying, oh, you can, but you might want to consider actually a platform that or a control plane that helps you manage all of this in one in one place? Yeah, great question. I and mean, we, we do get this a lot because we deal with a lot of smart folks, right? And they're like, hey, I can just like take this open source tool. And, and we like, you know, we support everyone from an open source perspective. Like what we we've got open core software. So we release, you know, Telepresence open source. MSRE Ingress open source. We've got full docs there. If you want to do your thing, rock on. We've got a Slack channel. Jump on, ask your questions. We're here to help folks be successful in any way they can, right? Because, you know, that's a partly altruistic, but partly good stories using our tech are great for business in general as well. And often those folks do eventually, you know, come over uh, of their own sort of volition. And if they are looking for the pitch um, and sort of the, the guidance that we've seen with other customers, 
it's really that total cost of ownership. And it's somewhat a cliche, right? The Amazon are really good at saying like, TCO everything, total cost of ownership. But it's, it's really important in that, yeah, sure, you can spin up this platform of yours today, but how much is it going to cost you every week to maintain it? You know, um, if an engineer moves on, how do you pass on that knowledge to the next generation? Because we see this frequently, right? Like folks are saying to us like, hey, can you give us some support on the API gateway? Because the person who installed it a year ago has moved on and provided no docs. <laughs> and like they can look at our docs, but the way they configured it for their specific use case is quite bespoke, right? So we'll jump on, you know, support contract or whatever. We'll help them understand how that person configured it and we'll help them upgrade and, and scale it out and that kind of stuff. But that's the... It, that's the hidden cost, right? And and I totally empathize with that because when I, you know, used to be an engineer and when I was working at Open Credo as a consultant in London, we all like to think like to think we're smart people, right? And we discounted the future cost of all those things because A, we thought we were smart people, uh, which is not always correct, right? But we also, we liked playing with the cool stuff. We, we, we always thought, you know, that classic hack and use cliche of, I can build that in a weekend, right? Twitter, I can build that in a weekend. But like, hey, like, no, you can't. <laughs> and, and there's like the hidden things you never think about with these kind of platforms, right? So the main, the main sort of discussion we have for folks is, you know, this often, these core bits are, are going to be critical to you delivering business value. Can you quickly code and test something to outdo a competitor, right? Can you ship it and minimize that blast impact? Can you run stuff and understand what's going on? Like, and can you do that on day zero, day one, day two? And what's the cost? Like, you know, engineers, like we're expensive folks, right? Like the industry at the moment is salaries are kind of crazy, right? Um, so when you think like, oh, actually it's gonna take me one engineer full-time to staff out this platform, you're looking maybe at like 200 US dollars, like, you know, depending on your location in the US, for example, like maybe more, right? And some of the folks I chat to, globally, it's very different. But then that as in, and that's just you're staffing that one person. What happens if they, you know, decide to take a sabbatical or they leave the company? There's another hidden cost there of like, you've got to train up the next person and pass knowledge on. So I try and empathize and, and chat a lot to the community. Because I, I see like past myself, right? Like rocking up, they're a bit younger and they're like going, hey, I can do this in the weekend. And I'm like, I've been there, done it, doesn't always work, here's why, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, well, it's, I, I want to get into a, um, a little bit of an interesting topic with you here. Um, because, so you mentioned OpenCore. Well, so I, one of my clients, uh, Permit.io, uh, their founder, or Weiss, is a uh, uh, you know, interesting dude. I, I like hearing him talk about different things and... Uh, when when he's talking about so their their platform helps companies build uh, permissions into their applications and if someone is like interested in that he's got like this three prong approach where he's like we could talk best practices we could talk open source or we could talk about using the SaaS right and really yeah. just talking through those things organically value and if someone wants the SaaS and goes that's easier then that's great but it's good to be able to also speak about open source and also speak about um, you know whatever, so that you can have a full conversation with somebody and really uh, engage with them honestly, which I think is, we both would agree, like how developers want to be engaged with, right? They, they don't want to be yeah. sold yeah. something. But the one interesting um, position he has that I'm curious your thoughts about is about open core, where he talks about how that's a, a tough business model because um, it can compete with maybe your own business yeah, model. Definitely, definitely. Um, and how do you how do you navigate that, right? Because ideally you want, if you build something that's open source, you want it to do well and you oh, want it to add yeah. value. But so, so does, how, how do you navigate that? Because I didn't know that um, uh, Ambassador Labs had some open core technology, but it seems 
like it does. And so how, how, do, how does that um, shake out? Yeah, I think it's easier for us because we've got multiple products. So we're not really focused on the products. We're focused on the benefits, right? That code, that shipping, that run. We happen to have a couple of CNCF projects and we happen to contribute to other CNCF projects in that space. So the fact that we're not like, say, a database vendor where we've only got one thing. Yeah, and again, love database vendors, you know, worked with a few of them over the years and like, I totally get it. Um, but for us, we are delivering that end-to-end -end value, that code, that ship and that run. So really right. we say to folks, hey, you could, um, you know, there's multiple um, CI/CD solutions, right? You know, even if you just focus on CD, uh, we, we love Argo, but there's Flux and the CNCF and you've got Harness as a commercial vendor, like GitLab, there's, there's many things out there, right? So we do often focus on that kind of best practice like you know here's how you need to be using the tool oh, and we've got some tools that you can use to do what you want to here yeah i think that the full experience is something that i think is is really going to be the key now for you know dev tools right like yeah and and do you think it's important to to guide them through an entire you know i, I guess it's similar to the best of breed versus single pane of glass conversation that that's always happening in this space. Um, I, because I've seen Datadog, who you know, I know you know well, and and I used yeah, to work yeah. for them. They've just become like, I, do they do everything? I don't know. I think they do your laundry now. I, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like they they they're just getting into every space, and they're so smart, and they're like you know really really great people over there. But it's like, okay, so but. I have a client actually kind of too now in the incident response universe, which Datadog mm -hmm. recently got into. And the the general opinion, at least on amongst my clients, which is probably, you know, might be biased, who knows? I'm, I'm not using any of these products myself, but is that, you know, yeah, Datadog has incident response, but if you really want to do it, you know, properly, they, they haven't built out all of the things, you know. Um, but I imagine if you're an enterprise that's, you know, just wants the checks and boxes and you need an incident response and Datadog, you're already using it for infrastructure. You go, okay, I'll, you know, do that. They might be giving it away for free at this point for all I know, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. um, so I don't know what, how do you think companies navigate that or how do you as a developer or as a developer advocate uh, think about these things, whether it's best of breed or point solutions and, and where the industry is on, on that. Yeah a good and complicated question adam if i'm being honest there and i think the key advice i always give folks is meet people where they're at right because some um large vendors uh, some large uh yeah organizations are happy with that one vendor relationship right even now that like, was very common 10 20 years ago but even now like um it's just easier from a you know uh, actually like a purchasing perspective like oh there's dog does that thing we've already got a contract with them ramp up like and also if something goes wrong, there's still only one vendor like to shout out, right? So there's a, there's a bunch of like those constraints, then the smaller companies do focus more on the best of breed. And instant response is a great example because there your practices are very tightly coupled with your tools. And I've, I've, I've heard some folks say, you know, um, we adopted this tool, but it didn't work because it didn't, it wasn't in line with our practices and neither was wrong there, right? It's just like, it's, it didn't get that kind of, that match going on. So I think, um, we've got to think a lot about those kind of those kind of situations and I, and I think like again when you're small starting with that best of breed but with that single pane of glass or maybe not a single pane of glass but that single control plane right this is kind of where we're going with that control plane mechanism like just think about all the how all these things integrate together you can totally pull 
best of breed. And most of our customers, I said the vast majority, probably do that. Um, but then can we make it easy for them to hook all these best of breed within that code that ship and that run? And there's many things in code and ship and run, right? But can we make it easy for them to hook it in to our systems to provide the right abstractions? And again, like, is, again, there's no way you can do everything because we've provided very little bit of sort of visibility of metrics, but Datadog, a whole bunch of other folks do it much better, right? So we're like, hey, we can very easily provide you a way to link out from your systems, like from our ambassador cloud, into Datadog, into your Prometheus, into your Grafana, whatever you're using, right? So it's about recognizing, it's really recognizing that single pane of glass, right? As in like, it's dangerous to say single pane of glass because that pain becomes huge over time, right? <laughs> Try to do everything. And that basically it's all about abstractions. You've got to kind of continually refine the abstractions. And that's the Ambassador Labs goal is very much that, that sort of focus on that end-to-end -end delivery, but but it's going to be a constant learning journey as we go through customers and just as Kubernetes changes, as CNCF, as the landscape changes, right? Um, and I think it's what you're seeing in Datadog, same, you know, I imagine they're having the same discussions in their kind of um, management level of what do we, what's complementary to what we're doing? How do we integrate that? How do we provide that buyer journey for folks onto this stuff? And how do we make money charge for it as well, right? It's clearly being discussed, but it's, it's yeah, it's a complicated challenge and part of it coming back to what you said earlier adam part of the challenges we're seeing in the kubernetes space is because of this i think right because there's so many best of breed tools out there now how do you provide a way to integrate them all together and cncf is sort of doing that with standards like you know open telemetry and all these other good standards that are popping up i think that's the answer we're seeing like a lot of our customers are adopting these open standards with the hope the idea the goal that eventually like they can knit them all together with their you know choice of control plane right Definitely. Yeah, I think you're right that uh, people talk about the the fight as a startup to carve out a space for yourself and do something better and that, that be obvious value. But it's definitely true that the bigger vendors, the best ones, I mean, maybe part of why Datadog is so successful. I mean, they have a great marketplace um, where yeah. they're constantly right. engaging with new investor, uh, new, sorry, uh, companies and partnering with them and, and you know, making it so that if you do choose to use those tools, there's still a pathway um, to, to, to remain Datadog. If you know that's your kind of central, um, you know, dashboarding place, um, you have good relationships everywhere. Um, and meeting people where they at, I think, is good advice. And and speaking of uh, uh, advice, because you've recently, so you've done DevRel, you've been the head of DevRel for the past six months. You said, um, is this your first kind of DevRel position, or have you done in the past? Yeah, so the first like DevRel official title I held, Adam, was like director of DevRel a year and a half ago, I think now at Ambassador oh, Labs. Okay, gotcha. But I've always yeah. done DevRel, to be honest. Even like when you and I first crossed paths, like, I think I was like chief scientist at the Open Credo, a consultancy. A chief scientist is really like DevRel architect, right? <laughs> right kind of thing, right? So I've always loved sharing knowledge. I've always loved learning. And that community is very strong around that, right? So, I, you know, my mentors are very lucky to have some amazing mentors said to me, like, pay it forward, give everything back, you know, learn, share. And even when I didn't have DevRel in my title, I was doing DevRel-like things. So it was a natural Yeah, and I, yeah I, I was talking to, uh, I interviewed Jessica Craig over at LaunchDarkly, who's a DevRel oh, there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's, she's cool. And I was asking her, like, how do you, because I, I know people who, like, want to talk and they want to, um, yeah, they're, they're engineers maybe or developers, but they want to, you know, do more of that stuff. And, and how do you make that transition? And uh, her advice was, it's not just going to be like one day you wake up and you're a DevRel, like you should, if you care about that stuff, like 
start tweeting more or whatever, like build up yeah, your yeah, brand, totally. build up your presence, like apply to give talks and like, just do it. And then, yes. you know, and, and like, if it's just naturally part of your personality or you want it to be like, you'll just be doing it. And then one day, maybe it'll make sense to just go, okay, now this is just what I do. That's yeah, my yeah. job. But, but really, I mean, would, does that resonate with you as a, as a way to like, for people who may be interested in, in becoming, um, you know, DevRel from, from developers making that transition. It does at hundred percent. And funny if I've got a talk, it's like, this. I think the title is called the guide to becoming famous in IT. I delivered it. It's like 2017, like back in the day now, so to speak. Right. Um, but it covers a lot of the things you mentioned. It covers like that, you know, what's your goal. Um, and then think about breaking it down. How do you want to get there? And like, I gave a bunch of advice about writing blogs and doing talks based on like my experience. Right. And, and I try to mentor a bunch of folks in the community. So in the show notes, we can, we can like, check the link to, to that talk, but yeah, hundred percent. And the only challenge, challenging thing with that because I do have some interesting conversations with, with mentees around that is it's always that side hustle vibe right and I've been lucky enough to kind of have that space in my life to do that side hustle but not everyone has so if you haven't got that space for whatever reason right it's trying to adapt your current role to do a bit of that kind of stuff as well because I interview a lot of folks you know building a team like for the last six months um, and if folks can provide some kind of demonstration of the blogging the writing you know it really helps us understand each other. Like, are you a fit for the organ? You know, these kind of things is a two way, two way street, right? Um, but even if you can point to internal stuff you've done, like, you know, oh, you did some onboarding stuff to make the, you know, folks joining the company's lives better. Like I tweaked the docs or I recorded a talk about how to set up your dev environment. Maybe you can't share that with me, but you can share the story of how you did it. Right. And as a hiring manager, I'm like, brilliant. I get where you're coming from. You know, we can work and coach you. I can mentor you on that kind of stuff. So, yes, 100 percent look for the ways to be like a DevRel in disguise, a DevRel in sort of sheep's yes. clothing or whatever. But I yeah. appreciate like I, I did a whole bunch of it as a side hustle. If you can't do that, do it in your day job. Yeah. And I think you have to probably find companies that understand DevRel, which like, yeah, in our spaces, you know, they're there. but in the broader, like, you know, technology ecosystem, not sure how, you know, because being a good DevRel means not just selling your product, right? Which is what some traditional companies want, but it's it's genuinely about building community and and, and things like that. So you, you probably have a better shot at, even if you're not a DevRel full-time, but you want it to be a little bit more of your day job, you probably have to be at a company in the first place that, values that right otherwise it's going to be a little hard to, to carve out that that space for it it is i mean yes if a company understands it you, you're well on your way you can also sort of educate the company like internally and point to what a bunch of other folks are doing like paypal invested a lot in inner source like for example many years ago now 10 years plus ago and that's sort of like a lot of that stuff they're doing around this inner source notion it's basically open source but internally um there's a lot of dev advocacy involved in that right you're sort of pitching like these tools across the org and you're helping folks on board to them so like you look at you know whether you love the fangs or not but those kind of companies and even the regular folks like the rest of us um are doing some of these practices so you can sort of point and say hey look at infoq look at the new stack look at dzo and you can see examples of these internal devrel teams or devx teams developer experience teams or even platform teams product teams like you can just see them you know creating these tools and helping their engineers to come on board and these kind of things and then you're like hey look at the value there like because developer productivity it's super hard to measure, but it's so impactful. 
you know i'm not talking about the whole 10x engineer thing because that is a bit of a myth perhaps but you know we've all been there when the systems were set up so that you could understand the developer experience is great your ide just worked and we've also probably all been there where you couldn't get anything done you know spinning up a dev environment took a day and then it would break and then like i've, I've been there right and those kind of things so you like convincing management of like hey here's the value of this developer experience totally can be done by what's already out there in the industry and pointing to successes and failures i think i think it's one of those things where like if you don't have it you'll feel it also it, it honestly is is pretty similar to PR in some ways, right? Where like, you know, if you see your competitor and they're in the new stack and they're in InfoQ and they and broken a tech crunch and they're giving interviews and podcasts and, uh, you know, same thing with DevRel, right? Like if your competitors are giving talks at major conferences and doing cool stuff and have built like a great community on Slack where people are engaging and, and they're active yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're not doing those things, um, you know, you you might you might feel it because there is like a snowball effect um, to these sort of things. But DevRel, like PR, really, it is hard to measure a little bit, and I think yeah. that's what is harder in more traditional organizations. Um, but and that's why you know, I mean, for me, I you know, from the PR side, you know, if uh, I don't, I don't, I'm in a place where I don't need to convince anybody of <laughs> of anything. It's like if if uh, you know, if you believe I'm not going to work with somebody who doesn't feel strongly about wanting it, there's no, there's no yes. point. Um, but um, yeah, I think there's just similarities there. And so I, I think you gave some good uh, tips for somebody who, who wants to break into it. But what about on the flip side, a company that's looking to hire for it? I actually have a couple of clients in this condition now. I mean, part of it is probably, you know, during the pandemic, everything was virtual. Um, yeah. The, the the feel for um, if you weren't already doing it and you weren't already good at it, probably during the pandemic wasn't the time you were going to start doing it and be good <laughs> at it, right? And, yeah, yeah. you know, I had a little bit of like the founder saying, well, now that I don't have to travel, you know, we could just, I could just maybe try to apply for a talk and I can give it if I get it because don't have to be there. And, uh, you know, a little bit, but now things are back and people feel it, or at least they're mm -hmm. coming back. Um, and and I've, I've seen DevRel roles open up. Um, Big time. You know, my clients in Israel want also someone in the U.S. that's here locally that can do things. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they don't know what to exactly look for. I think you know. I think they uh, if there's an I've seen one company that had uh, someone that was an engineer at a former company that just applied as a DevRel, and they tried to make it work. I've seen you know people just go to the person's Twitter account and <laughs> yeah. that basically be the main barometer of if this is someone they want to hire um i don't know what what do you recommend people people look for if they're looking for not someone who's just getting started but really they want a head of devrel to get the program off the ground what, what do you think they they should be looking for yeah it's a it's a challenging space at the moment because i think particularly with the consolidation we're seeing in like cncf space uh, a lot of folks it's bottom-up motion right plg developer led and there so you've got to be like pretty business savvy as well as like tech savvy and it's quite a, an interesting challenge there but i think if you're looking for that first hire it's very different than future hires because that first hire particularly say you, you know you're in the early stage you've got product market fit you want someone that can do a bit of everything and i always was tried to be like that, right? The T-shaped person or call it what you will, right? Like I can code, I can talk, I can blog, I can do kind of everything, but I'm not as good as some folks do amazing talks, right? Some folks can write stunning blogs. Like I, I'm tend to be like focused on breadth rather than depth. And that's kind of, that, I think that person's a good 
you know, totally biased, right? But a good first hire in that, because they can just like, like we mentioned, you know, about Bastard Labs. I've been there five years and I've literally done sales. I've done marketing. I did a bit of coding for a while. I did everything, right? Because whatever needed to be done to get us to the next milestone, we, we all we all did it. And, and, you know, and I think that kind of entrepreneurial mindset is really useful for DevRel in general. So you want someone that can think strategically, but really focus on execution, focus on like, hey, you know, have those awkward conversations with the CEO. What's your goal here? And they're going to be like, make noise. And you're like, give me a KPI that says in six months time, I've done a good job. And they go, uh, do you want views? Do you want conversion? Do you want retention? Like those kind of things, right? And they often go, oh, let me think about that. So having those conversations is really key. And then building a plan out as to like, and keep it keep it loose up, my, my general advice. I'm going to try and find this community. I'm going to tweet some stuff here. I'm going to do some stuff here. Da, 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 da. And then as you build it out, then you get more strategic, more structured. And then you l- deliberately hire a Twitch streamer, deliberately hire a community manager, these kind of things, right? Mm. And, and I will be honest, the industry is quite young in itself. So we're all trying to figure out what DevRel, what Dev Advocacy is. So it's a learning journey. We're all going on together, right? I agree. I actually... It's one of those things too, where I feel like when it's going well, you feel it. I, I it, it is hard. I agree. You should have some loose plan and some KPI, but I think part of it is also, you know, again, having someone who, who believes in it and understands it. And, and, yeah. you know, my clients that are looking for it do, they want it. Um, you know, like I, I see it with a, I'll give a shout out to my boy Udi over at Commodore. Like, Oh, they're doing good work. Just, yeah. Yeah. They're I doing like that good stuff. Stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's always like, engaging and tweeting and retweeting and and like even on just social but community like he's hustling and like <laughs> yes <laughs> and just trying to get the name out there and um you know getting your name out there and and being involved in the community has benefits that um are, are absolutely tremendous like it makes my job easier as someone who now has to go out and pitch that people know who i'm talking about you know it's not like a cold uh, a cold yes, uh, yes. engagement um I know we're up at, at time here. I want to touch really quickly um, on the PLG stuff because we said we'd talk about it. So I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm seeing this trend, um, you know, with with my clients. I believe in it. It, it rhymes very much with bottom up, right? It, it, yep. it, to me, it, 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 there's a lot of overlap here. Um, but letting the product do the talking, let you know, not having to, to to engage in too much sales, giving people a taste before they buy, the whole bottom up motion. But I, I think for companies that, aren't doing that, that maybe are a little more traditional, it's hard. I, I know a company, uh, Datry.io in, in Tel Aviv, the founder was talking to me about how he wasn't bottoms up. He was more traditional Israeli cybersecurity, you know, big enterprise deals. Yeah, yeah. Decided he wanted to be PLG and that's not an easy switch. He had to <laughs> <No>. <laughs> actually let re- lay off some people, unfortunately, refactor the company, mm-hmm. but, and did a great job. And then, you know, six months later actually has a lot of users and is doing really well in, in the bottom up thing, but it wasn't an easy transition. Mm-hmm. And luckily he wasn't so far along where maybe it would have been, you know, impossible if you're five years, seven years in the journey. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, the person to ask them what's possible and what's not, but what do you feel about the benefits of PLG? And do you think just inevitably it's something that anybody in the dev tool space is going to have to consider and, and get better at? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think if you're a startup, right, PLG, like product-led growth is, is the way to go. If you're like an established enterprise, your IBMs, your Amazons, your GitLabs, you can kind of do what you want to some degree, right? There is definitely product-led motions like there, but they also sell enterprise deals as well. So you've got that hybrid going on. But I think, yeah, if you're a new 
if you're a new entrant to the space, there's some spaces maybe you are getting massive deals, but most of the deals are going to be smaller and developers are going to want to try the thing out, right? Like I, even back in the day when I was doing like Java Monolith application service, you know, pretty big price tags on them, but we wanted to kick the tires, right? We, we chatted to Red Hat, we chatted to, you know, IBM, we got the thing, you know, it was a bit of a sales motion, but we got thing, kicked the tires and then gave feedback to our you know, managers who are the purchasers there. But these days, people want to skip that. They want to like go onto the website, download the thing, play around. And I think part of that as engineers, we just want to get a feel for the tech, feel for the, you know, the, the sort of ethos around the around the actual piece of kit you're going to be using. And that encompasses everything from the tech itself to the docs to the community. You want to get an idea and you want to see, is it going to fit into my workflow? Is it going to, you know, my expectations of developer experience is this tool good enough so i think everyone really like is coming in and i say everyone there's always uh, you know, always like exceptions right but everyone's coming in the, the sort of cncf landscape space is pretty much going to want to go product led because you you want folks to play around self-serve you know get up to speed to a certain level before they need to reach out because Developers are busy, right? We've already mentioned the shift left stuff. They're busy doing that day in, day out. They haven't got time to go for these lengthy sales motions and chat to folks and get a trial license. They're like, just give me the tech. Let me get on with it. So I really do think, yep. you know, PLG is, is, is the way forward for a lot of these kind of startups. Cool, man. Well, this has been a fun chat. We covered a lot of ground. And I think I should say that anyone interested in playing around with uh, Ambassador Labs, uh, you can get started for free and you can check it out at getambassador.io and then you should also definitely follow uh, Daniel Bryant uh, on Twitter that's at Daniel Bryant B-R-Y-A-N-T UK uh, he's, uh, he's really great to follow he's plugged into the ecosystem he's also does a side hustle for InfoQ and is, and, and is involved with QCon and a lot of great um, developer content that's always coming out of that account so definitely follow them there too is there anywhere else people should check out or did, did we pretty much cover it nailed it adam perfect like yeah definitely with the ambassador labs ambassador labs uh slack we've got a8r.io slack you can find me on the slack there i'm on linkedin github pretty much everywhere is daniel bryant uk so you've already sold that one so hit me up folks dm me reach out to me i'll do my best to get back to you what was the slack uh one more time uh, a8r.io slash slack and the a8r and that, is actually ambassador it's like a8r.io uh, right <laughs> slash slack oh, that's kind of cool because you you hyphenate it the same way that kubernetes does right that's like, it a little, that's with exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very cool and, and what what's what's there at the slack it's just the it's an ambassador labs community where people can go and and chat about uh kubernetes chat about what, what's that's the idea it. behind the community yeah we've got a bunch of channels and like you can chat about um obviously our open source products you can chat about contributing to open source getting involved there right docs tech whatever you want to get involved in we've got sort of um you know uh, folks that are playing around with the commercial products we've got channels there we've got some education channels we're investing big in developer education so if you want to come along we've got a bunch of self-serve material for onboarding we've got the kubernetes learning center and uh, we're working on um, we've got some courses we've got some ccad if you were going to be certified uh, kubernetes uh, app developer some of my team have recently done that and they're sharing all their learnings so yeah whatever you want to chat about in the kubernetes space getting started you know deploying, rolling out to production. We've got you covered. Jump on. It's a community thing. We're there to help, but we're there to facilitate. Like It's like, I can't remember how many thousand of folks there, there are now. A lot of great conversations happening day in, day out. So please get involved. Very cool. Daniel, thank you for taking time, and I'll see you uh, in a few weeks at uh, KubeCon EU in Spain. Looking forward to Adam. Till then.